0: With Capella University's FlexPath Learning Format, you can earn your degree online at your own pace and get support from people who care about your success. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see, so... No, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, races, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. This isn't your average business podcast, and he's not your average host. This is the James Altucher Show on the Choose Yourself Network. Today on the James Altucher Show... What I always tell myself with just writing is that if I'm not afraid at the moment that I'm about to hit publish, then I shouldn't publish it. Like to be a that's little bit fantastic. That's a great tip. And the reason it works is because if you're afraid, that means a you're saying something that's going to hit that third rail. A little rail, risky, yes. And no one's ever written it before. Yes. So you know you're you're unique. And yes. but it's going to mean some you're gonna be poor Some people are gonna absurdly hate you. Yes, so yes. How do would. you think you overcome that? Well,
1: I mean, I remember the the manager of the club in Grand Rapids, Dr. Grins. He showed me, and this was early on, Dr. Grins right? Yeah, while <laughs> I was writing the Great Depression. He's a chiropractor, I think. I don't think he's a he's a a medical doctor. Anyhow. <laughs> It's it's voodoo. A person wrote on the comment card in all caps, don't talk about depression with infinite exclamation points. And And the manager, Dr. Grins, felt the need to show me that at a time when I was still unsure of whether this was going to work. But then the meet and greet that I did within minutes of that, everybody was so grateful. And I told the people in the line who said they were grateful. I said, you know, one person... Wrote this, and I showed them the card, and they said, "Don't dare stop talking about depression. You need to get this out there."
0: Gary Goldman, congratulations! You're about to release your HBO special, yes, James, uh, uh, The Great Depression. Yes. And uh, do you mind if I give a little uh, intro?s This is the fourth time on your podcast, on this podcast. The first time. I was just we didn't know each other and i was just simply a huge fan i'd watch like every youtube clip (laughs) 10 times i could recite your jokes and comedy to my friends and you came to the studio and i hope you don't mind me saying you were really quiet yeah (laughs) like you could barely talk louder than a whisper right and i finally asked you about it on the podcast and you were you started talking to me about your depression right and fast forward another year we did a, a a podcast about one of your jokes in particular the abbreviated states right and even when you i felt bad like even when i told you what the topic of that podcast was <laughs> you were like oh i'm never gonna write anything better right like you were you were and then and then we, we had lunch the next day and you were the next day after that you were going to essentially quit comedy and move back to your parent your mom's house right. in boston yeah be a camp counselor yes like and here i i couldn't believe it like this huge talent <laughs> and you at that point i think you really didn't know what was going to happen next right i
1: was i was really sick so the the story in joke form as well as documentaries is, is premiering saturday night october 5th at 10 p.m so i wanted to get that plug in first but I, d- I do remember how sick i was and it feels so good to be able to come back and in such a better space where I, where I feel I'm, I'm myself and I'm able to reflect on these things with some
0: perspective and, and
1: bring some, some light to it and also lightness.
0: So, so um, I want to ask you about what happened that summer. Cause you, cause you came back firing. Yes. Like uh, between, (laughs) between sets that I saw you do and your writing on Twitter, the Goldman tips, which are the most amazing tips I've ever seen. Like, the only reason I log into Twitter now is to look oh, for wow. your tips. Oh, wow! that's a, so, what a great compliment. And because they're so valuable, not just for comedy writing, but for writing and and art. Like it's really so. valuable uh, advice about creativity. And and then of course, you teamed up with a little known producer named Judd Apatow to make right. a, an amazing. I watched the taping of it, an amazing special, which is appearing on HBO on, on, on Saturday, October 5th, 10 PM. <laughs> and they called the great depression and I watched it and it was I like, like all my neurons were firing watching you on the stage because I was thinking to myself, man, he was a great writer of all these jokes, like the abbreviated States, all your jokes about Trader Joe's grapefruit, uh, uh, you know, hockey right? that, that one was in the, uh, I won't, I won't give a spoiler, right. but, uh, <laughs> uh, uh, and then, but then I was amazed, like it was like a whole evolution in your writing to take all these, this skill and apply it. It's very hard to take autobiographical stories, I think, and make them funny because in your head, there's, right. there's all these, all this story, like you're right. seeing a vision that the audience is not, cause you're seeing the full 4d reality of it. Right. To chop that down and put in punchlines and take out all the fat is, got to right. be difficult. So,
1: well, I I think one thing that occurs to me is that when you first start to write comedy, you you have these stories that you've told in your your life and you try to put them on stage and you realize that it doesn't work the same as when you're telling the stories in 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 the other context, which is your life. So, I I think what well, why why is that? Why doesn't it work? I have no idea. I have no idea, but Part of it is that you don't have the skill yet to to write for the for the stage, and so a lot of people give up and say, "I'll just write things that are outside me, and I'll make observations, and I'll adjust my whole my whole act so that I, I don't have to rely on my my own story." So so I I think part of it is that you need a certain skill to be able to write autobiographical jokes and make them funny and 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 make them work for for the stand-up setting but also what happened was over the 25 years that i did comedy i i cultivated i guess or was lucky enough to draw a certain audience that was on the same wavelength as far as my humor and my delivery and my speed and and pace and so i i've been thinking about this a lot recently and and this was this was definitely the case. I couldn't do the Great Depression material everywhere. I couldn't do it on a on a Saturday night at the at the comedy cellar when they're there to see people just killing and the people who went on before you did incredible shows. And then you're gonna go down and and say, Hey, I was in the psych ward and I got recognized in the psych ward and and talk about that. So if I only had Comedy clubs and bar shows to run my set at. I never would have gotten the confidence to do it, but luckily I had this audience that probably started to to coalesce. Maybe partly from from that joke we talked about the abbreviated states, and and maybe partly from some of the specials I had on Netflix. But I, I got to a maybe a tipping point or a, or a a position where I could fill three hundred to a thousand seats in, in most cities in America and and those people had the same sense of humor as me. They they all found me very funny. So I I was able to to have some leeway and some some patience from the audience in, in talking about these things. And like we were talking off air the feedback i got after the shows was different from any of the feedback that i had ever gotten in my career and it was it was clear that the people were hungry for this type of act that that they wanted to hear about about depression and anxiety and they wanted to hear about my treatment and my my recovery and they were so grateful and uh, again if i hadn't gotten that kind of feedback if i had alienated people and there were people who came up to me afterwards and said that was too dark that was too dark and luckily I had some people around me my manager and the director of the special who I, I told them what the comments were and they said in one case they said well what did the other people say and I told them and they said well just listen to them and and that was what kept me going because I'm, I'm incredibly sensitive and I don't want to I I would never have wanted to lose the audience I had already built by going too far a- away from what was acceptable to them. So, so I was very fortunate.
0: So, so there's a, a lot to, to unpack there. Yes. Um, but like in the first thing you mentioned was that it's, it's, uh, you know, initially people try to do these autobiographical pieces. It doesn't seem to quite work. I wonder if the reason is like when you tell the story to your friends and they laugh, that's because they're your friends, right. they know the background, yes. they know you're the four You're comfortable, you're confident, yes. you're not and, memorized.
1: And you. It's also conversational. That's, yeah. that's, a, that's one of my biggest tips I give to comedians who are starting out. You need to be conversational now. The, the alt-comedy movement in the 90s wiped out all the schmaltz and the, and the prepared delivery that was so, so hot in the 80s.
0: Yeah, like I think people don't want to see an act Like adults don't want to see other adults trying things. (laughs) They want to see a professional talking to them, making interesting observations, touching them and then making them laugh Yes, and touching them, you know, right. Right. Um, and, and the other thing is like you, like you mentioned, when you just go into a room full of strangers and say, I'm depressed, just came back from living in, in my mom's house. Yeah. They, if they're strangers and half of them might be tourists from other countries they don't they they're paying money they want to see yeah you know jerry seinfeld a successful yes. comedian yes <laughs> they don't want to see yes. this guy just was sleeping in his mom's house like yes they, they yeah so, so, so there's that that or and like you say a lot of the comedians they go up on there there's they're fast they're funny they're they're a roller coaster ride yeah. and, and it's different paces yeah um although i mean pacing cadence timing Yours is, of course, funny from years ago, right? Uh, uh, but but I think that's that's part of it also. And again, it's hard to know. I think when you're telling a story, different things might be important to you than was important to the audience. Right. So like what you what you say that you you know people were coming up to you, what you. Instead, no one's gonna come up to you after one of your older jokes and say, man, that thing about grapefruits, I really, (laughs) that really struck home. I had a cancer the size of a grapefruit also, and I I never thought of it that way. Yes. Um, But with depression, there's like 40 million people in the US clinically depressed. I've suffered from it. You've obviously been through it very recently and and came out the other side. And I think this is something people want to talk about and when they see an, a a performer talking about it, it gives them permission to feel like, oh, it's it's okay. This guy just made me feel. Not only did he make me laugh, he made me feel okay. Yes. But but the final thing I want to unpack there is that it takes one person out of a hundred to to ruin the feeling for you. <laughs> Isn't that crazy? Yeah. 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 I mean, there was there was
1: one show, and I I talked about it last night on on Seth Meyers, which I'm sure you DVR'd, but.
0: Was, I, I, I watched it this morning uh, on YouTube. Oh, you did? Oh, okay. There was, <laughs> I, th- I didn't listen to it with my bass boost on the <laughs> Sony Walkman.
1: The, so there was one man in in Delaware who was just so angry about the performance I was giving. And seventy minutes into a ninety minute show, he started to to clearly become upset. And I asked him if as, if everything was okay, and he said, "Is this what is this therapy? Don't you have anything lighter?" And I said, "I." I thought that the name of The Great Depression would have would have clarified it to everyone and that the other people seemed to be enjoying it. He says, You suck. And then he walked out. And for the first time in my career, I, I got a standing ovation before the show ended. The people were so supportive and, and overrode his, his veto in, in such a dramatic and substantial way. But it, it still stung me. It, it really did, because I, I it's it's not good if something is for everyone, but you, you still there's a part of my my I don't know whether it's my ego or just my sensitivity that wants it to wants to be for everyone.
0: Yeah, I think that's a natural thing. Yeah, even though so many creatives have said for almost centuries, yes, a third will like you, a yes. third don't care, right? And a third will hate you, right? We've been warned. <laughs> I know. Since since <laughs> Mozart, so, we've been warned. It's so true. Yeah, <laughs> and we we. So, uh, just as a story, last night I was giving a live podcast downstairs, a friend of mine just wrote an excellent book and some woman stood up at the end and basically said, you can't use your book platform to say that opinion. Like, you know, you know, people think differently. It's inappropriate what you said in your book. And he said, that's the definition of a book for me to say my opinion. So he dealt with it very well. Like, I felt like he was very healthy in dealing with it, but I think i i'm like you one thing and that's what i'm showing to everybody look what this yeah, person in it yeah. how many other letters did you get? oh a thousand but right. they don't count yes so yes how do would. you think you overcome that well i
1: i'm i'm very good at bringing it up with my my friends and my partners in this in this project and and they are able to talk me down and explain to me what you just explained to me and say that it doesn't really matter i i I mean I remember the the manager of the club in Grand Rapids Dr Dr Grins he showed me and this was early on while Dr I was Grins right yeah while I was writing the great Depression. he's a chiropractor I think I don't think he's a he's a a medical doctor anyhow <laughs> Dr it's, vo- it's voodoo Dr Grins a person wrote on the comment card in all caps don't talk about depression with infinite exclamation points. And the, and the manager felt the need to show me that at a time when I was still unsure of whether this was going to work in, in middle America, for instance, Grand Rapids, Michigan. But then the meet and greet that I did within minutes of that, everybody was so grateful. And what, and I told the people in the line who said they were grateful. I said, you know, one person wrote this and I showed them the card and they said, don't, dare stop talking about depression. You need, to, you need to get this out there. So that was very helpful and, and, a, and a new approach, not just internalizing it and beating myself up and, and developing all kinds of insecurities and anger.
0: What, 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 what I always tell myself with just writing is that if I'm not afraid at the moment that I'm about to hit publish, then I shouldn't publish it. Like to be a little that's bit fantastic. That's a great tip. And 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 the reason it works is because if you're afraid, that means a you're gonna be you're saying something that's gonna hit that third a little rail risky, yes. And no one's ever written it before, yes. so you know you're, you're unique. And yes. but it's gonna mean some you're gonna be polarizing. Some people are gonna absurdly hate you. Yes. But most people will not hate right. you if as right. you get better and and you're you're at the top, so most <laughs> people won't hate you. Thank you. But uh, some people will and it's i mean i've had the worst hate mails over the past 15 years but uh you know at least in terms of writing and book writing and stuff uh you you figure out how to how to get i get over it by telling myself that that i asked for it because i know the people are gonna do it but Again, when you when you touch upon some, something that so many people feel, again, so many people feel it because they might be in the middle of it. They might not want to hear it out right. of a comedy club. That's true. Yeah, uh, and then they'll get irrationally angry. Yes, because they're still yes. going through a mental illness. Right. That's that definition. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yes. So, yes.
1: I mean, that's that's possible. It it also could just be that that's not a, a topic that came to a comedy club to to listen to. But it. But again. I was lucky that there were a lot of people even in Grand Rapids that were there ex- ex- specifically to see me. Yeah.
0: yeah. Well, well, you know, I remember when you did the the classic abbreviated stage, yes. I hate to bring this one no, up. No, no, no. So I, am very happy it. to talk about it. <laughs> yes. But, but you know, one clue about where you were heading is when Patton Oswald wrote this beautiful Facebook, Facebook post about your joke. And you know, he's a great yes. comedian for, for yes. decades and um he was also massively depressed for various reasons but your uh, even your abbreviated stakes states joke woke him up in terms of like this is what comedy is about and right. so you knew you were connecting yeah. at least among comedians to that yeah. type of
1: audience as well yeah i, I mean I, I remember reading that and i was in the the depths of depression at the time and it, it did make me feel at at least this this one person that i admired and really looked up to enjoyed my, my work. Of course, I immediately went to what we had discussed that time, which is that's as good as I can do. And it's, and it's over because I was in such a, such a brutal, um, a brutal episode of, I called it writer's block. It wasn't writer's block. I just wasn't firing cognitively. My, my brain wasn't working. So, because in, in, October of two thousand seventeen, when I started to feel better, since then, I, I've written like two and a half hours of material. So it was clearly I was just sick. I, I didn't have writer's block that that maybe that's not even a thing. I don't know.
0: yeah, I, I I don't know either. I always I always debate this. And you and in your Goldman tips, which we could talk about later, uh, sure you you you've mentioned some ways I think are really powerful for getting over uh, writer's block, whether it's comedy writing or other types of writing. But um I also want to mention, by the way, in terms of your actual depression, how you got over it, I highly recommend people listen to the podcast you did with with Brian Koppelman on yes. the Mo- His podcast is called The Moment. Yeah, Uh he, he's very close with you, his son's very close with you, and they describe what what you've been going through even that summer, and, and you talk about how you you got over it. You also talk about it on uh Conan, how, how yeah. you got over it. Yeah. Uh so, so people should absolutely listen to, to those interviews oh, and, and uh, uh to, to get more of a glimpse on the depression and how you got over it but I'm curious way back why'd you get into comedy in the first place <laughs> well I I loved comedy since the first time
1: I I understood the 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 joke and I loved making people laugh at a, at an early age and and I, I've been thinking about this a, a lot lately because people ask me about the the relationship between depression and comedians and the cliche about comedians being more depressed than the average individual but there there probably is a a hit of dopamine or serotonin or or, or whatever other chemical makes you feel pretty good when you get a laugh from a from a stranger and and even the 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 solving the puzzle of a of a joke. Sometimes when I when I figure out the the ending or a nice turn of phrase when I'm writing, I, I get a, a little bit of a of a of a I wouldn't call it a, a high, but a but a, a feeling of, of well being when I when I solve a, a joke. So it's it's possible that I've sort of been self-medicating through the through the laughter of strangers over the years or at least augmenting my my feeling through getting laughs from strangers, but I, I, I think it was a tip two days ago where I just said, you you need to try stand up. You need to do an open mic because it's, it's exhilarating in a way that nothing else I've experienced has been exhilarating. There was, there was one time when I was a freshman in college and, and, I was playing football and they announced the team and I ran out through the tunnel and the the crowd is going wild and that that was euphoric and I wasn't even playing so I imagine that athletes get that feeling but the the problem with the athletics is you're even the, even the best their prime is about fifteen or twenty years and i I feel like I'm coming into my prime at at twenty five years in and, and forty nine years old so i I think if I had a choice between athletic stardom and and stand-up comedy competence i would i would choose stand-up comedy competence well not not that i just think i'm only competent but i'm i'm i feel great even when i'm just competent at this point i'm like you've said a a superstar
0: (laughs) i think you were a superstar before (laughs) but now you you will talk more about that evolution to the the next level because because i don't think comedy works like like uh a, a, what's called a bell curve where one comic is 10 percent better than right. another i yeah. think there's it's like orders of magnitude so one group of comedians might be 10 times better than the next group might be 10 times better than the next group oh, i don't think there's like nuances where he's tiny little bit yeah, better. yeah, yeah. so <laughs> i think there's like big jumps and i think right. you already had a uh not to throw too much praise at you you already had a big jump and then this one you could see like viscerally like what the jump was But, um, one thing I was going to ask in terms of the, the doing comedy and the dopamine, you know, it it reminds me like if you were to write a book, it's not the same sort of dopamine hit. Like you get a deal to write a book, a year and a half later, the book comes out after a grueling 12 months of writing it. And then for one week people, you know, do little (laughs) cheers and you get four reviews on Amazon. And then that's it. And then you're home by yourself. Oh gosh. And and with comedy, and this is related to depression, I think, I think when you're in that state, and I know when, when I was in my own issues, you have to find ways to use real life to self-medicate, like some, something you can do where there's instant feedback and stimulation. I think that's why a lot of it turns into addiction, like either alcohol addiction, sex addiction, drug addiction, because you get these dopamine hits right away. I mean, a dessert is a a great hit of of
1: feeling good, yeah.
0: So so comedy, you're right, you go up on stage, you say a joke, and a quarter second later, the dopamine hit's either happening or the worst cortisol ever (laughs) is happening. Yes. And so you have to force yourself to get better to get those dopamine hits. Right. So, like, I remember not to go too much into my story. but i remember one time i was unhappy for a variety of reasons and so i i slipped into my own weird addiction which was i would play online chess uh-huh. but only the one minute variety so each side okay. gets one minute oh wow. and you lose if you run out of time yeah. because then it only takes at most two minutes right. to get that i'm either going to win or lose yeah if i win great i'm the best in the world right if i lose rematch oh and, my uh, word you know, yeah so, so now i would play 24 hours a day wow it was a it was it, but it's, would believe gambling. That it's a disease but it was my my girlfriend at the time thought it was a disease because i literally couldn't even go to the bathroom I had wow to keep playing.
1: oh my gosh was, i've never heard of that that's so interesting
0: yeah but it was it was yeah. it was not good but right. now it's an indicator for me like if i okay. do that too much right it means something's off the rails right so
1: no that's a great great indicator so yeah. but
0: i was gonna ask you about an earlier point you made about um you know, autobiography versus the other jokes you were telling, I still feel, like, let's take your Trader's Joe's, tra- right. before we get into the new stuff, your yeah. Trader's Joe's joke from several years ago, uh, your last Netflix special, I believe it was in, Yeah. Um. Uh. you know, that's still not quite autobiogra- autobiographical, but still your perspective right. is uh, unique to you and unique to who you are, and to some extent, that's your point of view, uniquely your point of view. It's right. not like, let's say the level below where they're just trying to figure out what to make the audience laugh. This was something that you found funny or annoying. Right. And and you figured out a way to write it and express it in a funny way. It was still very uniquely you without being the story of your life. Right. And what's the difference is what I'm wondering.
1: Well, it was a, it was a true story or if it was a movie, you would say it was based on a true story and it was, it was, helpful to me because it was the, it was the first time where I'd taken a story. And so I was probably doing it 21 years at that point where I'd taken a true story from my life and told it on stage and, and made it work. I mean, there were, there were other stories, but they weren't as long and I didn't really, really bring in all my, all my tools and all my, all my skills and all my interests. And it just, it was, it was just, it was It was the, the, I was using, I was at the height of my powers and I was using everything I had learned and in that. And also it was, it was a new idea, which was if, if I believe in a joke, I am going to stick with it. And, and that. I think led to me sticking with this joke that I had come up with in 1994 which was the abbreviated states I'd come up with the premise a long time ago and and really never had the confidence or the or the skills to to do it. So I think while I, while I didn't I didn't there's probably not a connection between talking about the the meltdown I had at Trader Joe's and talking about the actual meltdown I had in in my life. I I think it gave me the confidence to tell to tell a, a narrative and and use that in my in my act. But one thing I wanted to discuss with you because I I had a thought about it that there's there's this thing which is a little bit bothersome in stand-up comedy where the audience doesn't laugh on a curve, right? They don't notice the degree of difficulty of your jokes. They don't know that writing a joke about depression is, is well, they may know it is, but they don't care that writing a joke about depression is harder than writing a joke about the airline food, for instance. But they'll laugh harder at the airline food than they will a mediocre joke about your depression. They don't laugh on a curve. But one thing I've noticed is that reviewers grade on, on a curve. They 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 expect to, to laugh, I think, and, and, but that's not the end all and be all. They really want to see you risking something and, and, and having a higher degree of, of difficulty jumping from the high dive board rather than just the side of the the pool. Do you, do you think that's accurate?
0: I, I don't know because I see, I see also, uh, reviewers lately affected by whatever side of the spectrum they're on. Oh, okay. And that's Like, take Chappelle's recent special. Oh, right, right. Whether whether you like it or not, you know, a reviewer would seem to, like, for instance, a reviewer might say, Chappelle's unfunny. Ignoring <laughs> the fact that everybody in the audience was yes. laughing right in front of us. Yes, And the audience right. score on Rotten Tomatoes was 99%. Yes. So, it, it, well, I don't, maybe he thought it was unfunny, and that's fair. He's allowed to right. think that, the critic. But to say it was unfunny, like that's objectively, yeah, yeah, that doesn't seem to make rational sense. You have to wonder where is this irrational behavior from a professional writer slash reviewer coming from? Right, because it doesn't. It's not rational to think that way when everybody was laughing on the video. Yes, so so. But I think yes. uh, To to the other side of your point, I think they want to see funny and interesting. Whereas the audience they'll laugh at a fart joke. Right, 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 (laughs) And so the the, the, the challenge is, let's say at a comedy club, you know, you talk about the difference between performing in front of your audience of a thousand um, versus doing 15 minutes in a comedy club of strangers. Comedy club just wants, they like the fart jokes and the airline (laughs) jokes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they want to like, they want to think they like the other jokes, but I think you have to work harder for it. Right. I bet you that, Trader Joe's joke, you mentioned that's the first story you, you, you that was tr- really, really having that you turned into a joke. That was a hard joke because you're basically just talking about people angling for a better spot for their shopping cart. Right, right. Like, yes. if you were to just say that, people would go, huh. Yeah. Like, but then you have to actually right. take that, huh, and turn it into funny. And you did it yes. really well. But that, I imagine that was hard. It was, it was hard. It took a long, it took a long
1: time. But I. I think, and and this will come back to the to the Great Depression. I, I think if I have one sentence that's funny to me and gets a laugh, then then I I will be unstoppable because it'll be the it'll be the thing that I'll build everything around and I'll just keep gnawing away at it. So I had I didn't have one sentence to start the Great Depression with, I had one joke, which is was that the and I didn't even mention it explicitly as being a symptom of depression at the at the time, but I had this one joke about having fork prints in your ice cream, and I, I knew it as a symptom of depression. And I the interesting thing was I I never mentioned it in relationship to depression until I started working on what what became the Great Depression. It didn't have a, a name or anything like that. It just I just had this joke, and and I think having that joke gave me the confidence every night to to go out and workshop depression ideas knowing that worse comes to worse. Nobody laughs at anything. I am going to close with a great joke about four prints and ice cream that I can guarantee nobody else on the, on the show has, has done.
0: Yes, it's totally true. Airbnb, has changed my life. If anything, they have made my life so much better. Like I used to live in Airbnbs. I I lived in over a hundred or two hundred different Airbnbs over a three year period, and I loved it. I love. I became a really good guest of Airbnbs, and I got to know lots of hosts. So when I initially owned a house. I've used ZipRecruiter, particularly as a potential employee, and I still, to this day, get messages every day. James Aldrete, would you like to apply to be VP of en- Entertainment at NBC or whatever? So there's just nonstop emails. Like I got five or six emails today because of because of a year ago I signed up for ZipRecruiter. So, so that joke, which I first heard, you did a uh, set on, on, on Colbert, Colbert yeah. in, in 2017, I think. Um, yeah, January it, of 2017, it, in, the, it, in the midst of just crippling depression. Right, and I think, I uh, my guess is, m- maybe not the audience, but Colbert immediately picked on, up on what you were doing, and he said, you know, if you're, you know... Gary Goldman knows where you're coming from if you right. experience this. Yes. So he yes. picked up on yeah. that wavelength. And I right. think maybe getting that feedback, plus the laughter, plus you knew in your heart, this was a, you had two compasses. You had the external right. plus the authority validation and yes. and then your own. Like right. this was a good yes. joke, it was making people laugh. And I yes. think it helps to have those compasses pointing you Definitely. In, in the direction of writing. Yes. Yes,
1: so I'm 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 not one of these people who who unequivocally believes in himself. I, I need I need people to corroborate it.
0: which is okay, because that's another benefit of telling jokes is that yeah. you could tell lots of jokes and get lots right. of feedback and see which direct it's like a massive focus group all the time.
1: Yes. Yes. And I but I I, I think that's probably most people. Most yeah. people don't have this this unwavering. Thing
0: belief a, a lot of bad writers probably do right yes Bad nobody and bad presidents yeah <laughs> um but you know i'll i will say too on the abbreviated states joke and we're just hammering this one <laughs> but, because i don't want to give away uh, too many spoilers on the great depression where every joke was unbelievable and i oh, will thanks, bring up man. at least one joke from okay. that okay but but on the abbreviated states one i do feel there's you in that also and you said you started working on it 1994, I think the first time I saw it on a YouTube clip might have been 2013 Conan. Right. Um, Yes. No, 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 2016, July of 2016. Right, so that's 22 years. (laughs) Yeah. We're going to joke. Yeah. But there's like the guy, the the omelet station chef. Yes. Okay, that guy is you, (laughs) right? Well- the omelet station chef is
1: me but also the person who's afraid to upset the omelet station chef actually it was me there was a surly omelet station chef in in 2003 in St. Thomas and i wanted an omelet i was on vacation but i i knew she didn't like making these
0: omelets and i refused to get an omelet for the entire week and and but here's the question how did you know she re- she did not want to make these omelets <laughs> she was surly surly and you could probably <laughs> Relate like there's dreams, and then yes. there's what happened. Then yes. there's Plan B. Yes, and if you're yes. in Plan B, yes. you're probably not yes. the happiest you thought you would be.
1: But the the one thing we've learned from all these celebrity chef shows is that they are artists, incredibly temperamental artists. And and I would be the chef who would be peering through the the double <laughs> doors at somebody's shaking salt on the food that i prepared and thinking they know the seasoning it takes better than i do you haven't even
0: tasted it i would be outraged <laughs> right so so every so so again i'm always intrigued by you know some comedians are very autobiographical some are not but it, everything they're saying is still uniquely theirs so you still feel their perspective without them telling you the absolute truth so like yes. like kevin hart in his autobiography he talks about kind of his evolution. At first, he was telling jokes to make the audience laugh, so he'd make up these scenarios. And then, I guess it was Keith Robinson told him, don't do that anymore. And so he went on the road, and he Uh still is not talking about that much about his personal life, but he started telling jokes about things that were... Like you were annoyed at Trader Joe's. You had observations right on the line for the uh, omelet chef. You weren't just saying, yes. "Okay, this is what the the audience yes. is going to like it if I make yeah. this airplane joke because they've experienced it, even though I've never been on an airplane or whatever." You yeah. you, you weren't telling those. You were still yeah. telling your stories, but wrapped right. in several right. layers of stand up. Right. Well, it's, a, it's 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 really a matter of pronouns.
1: the The '80s comedian said, "When you go to the grocery store, you do this, and then." you switch it to i and and it changes changes everything in the in the writing and it and it makes it uh, original and i'm and i'm not saying that's all you have to do is switch the pronoun a lot of work goes into it but that's essentially what what gives it the the spark is is that I, it always irritated me when i would hear comedians say you know when you're and you go over there and you do this and everyone does this and i'm thinking to myself i don't and the people are all laughing because you're a cult leader comedians have a position when they're charismatic of leading a cult and they're going along with it and and a lot of times the comedian is lying to them
0: yeah well i think i think i think you're right in order to to like in order to get your perspective they ha- in into the joke uh like in order for the audience to feel this is your point of view as opposed to something that's just designed to make them laugh I think you have to figure out where is your personal right. struggle in yes. this joke? Well, yes. like I, they, she cut in front of me at Trader yes. Joe's don't no, yes. yes. You know, right, right, right. <laughs> and, and, or even with the, the, uh, uh, the, um, abbreviated States, you don't use. I in that, but you feel as if you're in the room and you're kind of, it's almost like you're working through the problem of how we abbreviate the States. And that's why we're along for the ride. So, so at least I feel that way. Yeah. It's your perspective of all these different stories within that story. Um, that this story is also gonna to relate to one of your Goldman tips, but now fast forwarding to the great depression, October 5th, 10 PM Saturday. Uh, when did you, when do you feel the, the switch flipped and suddenly you, you were able to take your story, put in the punchlines, strip out the fat, make it funny. Oh. Cause that was twenty five years, really. Right. In the May. I mean, when did you first try to tell a, a joke that was a hundred percent true? And what happened? Well, like way back. Oh my gosh. I,
1: I'm I'm not sure. I I I would have to think about it for a long time because there there, I mean there was the the. The Trader Joe's, and. Before that, I guess, I guess in, in my first tonight show, I told this story about, and this was, this was true. It just became so hard for people to believe because I, I was, I was very confident on stage and, and, and (laughs) without tooting my own horn, I'm, I'm objectively an, an attractive man i
0: i i, I have <laughs> wait you're I, a superstar you're an attractive man you're I have running a, out on a the football strong, field to massive yeah. applause i have a strong jaw and,
1: and great hair i there's no way i should feel so lousy about myself but so uh, there was a story about a woman saying we were we were we were being romantic and kissing and she said, I want you. And I had had a girlfriend in college and, and we were, we, we never had sex. So this, this person had said, I want you. And I didn't know what that, what that meant. And, and I told that story and, and like you just said about, it, you knew it was risky. I knew telling that was, it felt risky because I was embarrassed by this, by not knowing what that meant, and also being in a, a position where I was acknowledging that I wasn't much of a, a of a lover. And so I, I wrote a story around that, and then it became I, I had to drop it because people would tell me, nobody believes that you had a hard time getting getting sex. So it, do you
0: think that happens a lot with true stories? because it's so true in your head. you can't imagine right. people not believing it. but when there're a total strangers listening to it, they're working off a completely different set of cues than yes. knowing your history. Yes. And so I think that's why often for, for every comedian, you ha- it's almost like a, a slightly different skill set to turn those things into right. funny. As opposed to an observation, which you know right off the top of your head. Man, that's funny if I could just figure it out. Yes. You know, that's interesting because when I first started, I remember
1: Brian Kiley, who's a writer for Conan and and a comedian who's done stand-up and hundreds of television appearances but he told me that it was important to, to know how the audience perceives you. So he told me about a, a comedian friend of ours who was, who would always have beautiful girlfriends and he would tell jokes about sleeping with really ugly, ugly people. And, and, and Brian said that guys, those jokes never worked for that guy. And then he would keep, doing them and even if they were true they weren't going to to work so it's important that you know how the audience perceives you or go out of your way to to reinforce that i i guess Uh, i could have it was just interesting because i remember there was a, a manager who came to see me and he said this thing where you're Having trouble with women—that is not going to work, and you—you you need to change that and go back to Boston for a, a couple of years. And and within six months, I I did the joke on on the Tonight Show and got a a deal based on my persona to make a, a, a sitcom with with Fox for for two hundred fifty thousand dollars. So the
0: guy was wrong, but he 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 wasn't way off base. It well well like what do you think was your persona then? As opposed to when you were on the Tonight Show, because I think when you are on stage, even before you left for Boston and dealt with the depression and the way yeah. you did, I mean, you would go up on stage and you would always seem, and I, it was a, it seemed like a persona, but you'd always seem like slightly nervous, slightly self-deprecating, but not too much, and like you had one joke I saw at the cellar where you know it might seem like a six foot six, uh, a Jew with great hair would not have all uh-huh. the. Would not also inherit all the neuroses of yes. being Jewish, right? And uh, 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 and people laughed at that. So you built a persona where you were right. allowed to yes. be a little bit unreliable in who you were, right? Well, there, there's
1: this this idea that I learned about, and I think it might have come from Norman Lear or from or from the Mel Brooks era Sid Caesar's writing room, but the the idea it was called hang a lantern on it. If there's something that really doesn't make sense in your, in your script or your, your joke, acknowledge it and, and point it out so that the audience uh, doesn't feel they're, they're being duped. So so, 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 so that might have been part of, part well, of well, why I was able to make that work.
0: So, so let me ask you, is, is this the broader sentiment of always call out what the audience is thinking? Does that work or not really so like if if a spoon drops do you you know and everyone's looking at it do you acknowledge it or like well for 25 years
1: i've tried to come up with something funny to say when when a plate of glasses or plates a tray of those things drops at a comedy club and 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 the other night it, it happened at the comedy cellar and, and I, I screamed, don't let this ruin our night. <laughs> and, and everybody laughed and, and I thought, wow, after 25 years, I figured out how to, how to handle this situation but, that probably has only happened like nine times.
0: But that's also a personal perspective like let's say i'm gonna go i'm gonna start with the cliche like the cliche is now it's a party and everyone will give a slight chuckle right they all, we're all yes. in on that cliche yes. together but yes. you, so, or, or, you put, just put that anywhere but i refuse <laughs> to use a stock line right which is what yeah. i appreciate in your golden tips but in what you said you it's as if you built a tribe with the audience right. you know where you're <laughs> included, included. Yeah, you're yeah, together yeah, yeah. and maybe that's yeah. Maybe you feel more comfortable doing that now that you've let the audience completely into your life with the with with the jokes from the Great Depression. Yes, yes,
1: I I think I think so. But there are still nights when I when I do shows where the people aren't there to see me; they're just to, there to see a comedy show. And I I refer to some of my my insecurities and my my fears. It's it's I've figured it out, and I I often forget, but. My therapist pointed out that the, the audience is my is my family. My family when I was growing up, I would do a, a magic show and my brothers would point out how I was doing my tricks. And and it was it was very funny to everyone but me. Everybody was laughing, but I felt undermined and and, and criticized and and I think I, I take a lot of that on, on the stage with me. So if somebody heckles, it's it's personal. When it's not personal, this person's just either either drunk or, or an
0: asshole. Yeah, or both. Yeah. So, um, <laughs> but, uh, when you, again, when you, when, when the switch flipped open and now you could start talking about depression, what did it feel like? Because because again, in that story with the girl, uh, the, and having sex, probably in your mind, what was funny is that you didn't know what she meant. That yes. almost was like a punchline in your mind. Yeah. That's not like a punchline in real life, but right. But, But sometimes it's hard to translate those stories where you, what's funny to you, just based on, you know, 23 years of history is funny in your mind. Right. They don't know that history. So, so how did you kind of make the leap to now? Okay. This situation happened in my life. I'm going to take this situation. I'm going to figure out all the tools of comedy and how to make this funny. Like, can can we take one joke from the great depression? Yeah. And and I, I don't know if you've done it on YouTube, but I think you've done it on YouTube, but it wasn't played. It, it, it is sort of hidden somewhere. Um, it's your hockey. Oh, okay, uh, yeah. There's like really nice wordplay yeah, that, plus that, that self-deprecating. Right, that didn't make the the Great Depressed. That's
1: that's cut out. But oh, okay, but, I
0: saw it on stage though. Yeah,
1: yeah, I did. I did it because we needed to put cameras behind me, and I wanted to make the audience be laughing at something when the cameras were behind me because we couldn't really do the cameras behind me perspective during the show because it would have been distracting and
0: and i I don't question your decision but why (laughs) just and we'll well, now you can say the joke but but why did you given that it was a funny joke and it was a clever wordplay yeah uh why did you take that out of the special
1: i i just i had to get it down to to 62 minutes and i i didn't think it was I, i didn't think it was as on on topic as as the rest of it, and I I also for a long time I thought I'm never gonna write another great joke again, and and so I I didn't feel I wanted to hoard a, a good joke by putting on the special. I'll do I'll it also gave me the this idea that that well I'll put it on the next special, which is a, a really nice a nice feeling. So c- can optimism. You, can you talk? Can you talk about that joke? Or, yeah. Or you want to? Know? I mean the joke is 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 one of my favorites to tell and it it basically is is autobiographical and it, it involves me talking about how poor we were which is it's one of my favorite subjects but it was something that I I didn't want anybody to know about me because I I didn't I didn't think it was important and also I didn't want to embarrass my my family or or make them feel bad. So you were afraid? I was afraid. Tell yes. It. Yes. And also there's this this stereotype about jews that i wanted to dispel about that we're all rich and we're all very good with our money and and Shh, don't <laughs> right yeah so i wanted to dispel that by talking about how poor we were growing up we were on food stamps and free lunch and and welfare but but there was I, this there was this just motto that my my dad had which was if there's something you want just ask for it we'll try to find the money but it was <laughs> they, they, they wouldn't, they would, they would. And, and I was aware of, of how precarious our financial situation was. My parents would argue about money on, on Sundays when my father would have to write out a, a, a check for that covered. My parents divorced when I was one and a half so that he had a, an alimony child support combination that was, that, if I give you the number, you'll laugh. It was so paltry what he had to write out every week for three three boys and my mother's alimony. So at seven years old, I was aware of the tax implications of alimony versus child support because I would I would hear my parents argue about this. Anyhow, I was in a hockey program. I really loved skating, and my father said, "Hockey has gone up in price." <laughs> like stock it's it's really expensive this year it was fifty dollars last year it's two hundred dollars this year if you really want to play we'll find the money but he had already indirectly and and he didn't probably mean it he just was he was a nervous nervous dad he had already laid the groundwork for the guilt that would be involved in me playing hockey it was like yes if you want to play hockey and you don't mind breaking your old man play hockey so I, there was no way I was going to play but i i I had this idea that they would they would really lay it on on thick and i and I just exaggerated and and the point is is that they they I wasn't that great at hockey and I was very passive and and it's a it's an incredibly brutal violent sport and and I just love to skate but anyhow they pointed out that I was that I didn't have great skill in hockey, and also that Jews as a as a whole have no shown no aptitude for hockey. And then he he said, Let's examine the hockey hall of fame. Now this never happened. I made this up. He said, Let's examine the hockey hall of fame. We'll count the Jewish players in the hockey hall of fame. And of course, there are there are none, which is, <laughs> I mean, it's you, you, that's one of those things where you figure that out and a dopamine rush because you're like, I have the answer. I have a golden ticket, a great joke that I can do an entire Conan set on. And I, I haven't I haven't done it on on TV yet so I, it, I'm really excited to tell this on TV because it's one of my my most guaranteed laughs but I, he says uh, no, no Jews have made the Hockey Hall of Fame. Just for a point of comparison, Gary, more Jews have been the Messiah. <laughs> which is like that that i mean i i was just, i knew that was a, very rarely do you know a joke is going to work and then it works but i knew that line was was gold man that that what a feeling that was i just couldn't wait to get that one out there it's just yeah that, but, that's but then, like having
0: the winning lottery ticket and going to the to the lottery but i think that's like having the winning lottery ticket and then the next line it's like you won the lottery twice in a row do you remember the, uh, the, the the you're you're more likely to walk on uh, walk on water <laughs> than skate on it? Yes, yeah. I didn't have
1: that the first night. Okay. I did it. Yeah, I, mm-hmm. I riffed that one night because it it came to me. I don't pff, inspiration or just just the the confidence that getting a laugh gives you. You feel like you could say anything, and so the subconscious works. And
0: so 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 I think like like you say it's a you know you get a laugh at it because there's like so much wordplay so much intelligence in it like you're more likely to be the messiah than to be in the hockey hall of fame and then the wordplay of you know walking versus skating on water and then um but i think a lot of people could have just stopped at something relating to the guilt he was or you were already preparing for sure and had a kind of half joke to that like i don't know where it could have ended but i think there yeah. would have been the inclination to just tell the true story and how you were worried about the guilt and make that right just just twist that in some small way right but it plays into all my all, all my obsessions in
1: life which is i'm obsessed with jesus i'm obsessed with religion i'm obsessed with sports and I, i'm i'm obsessed with how poor we were so everything everything came together i mean that's 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 what happened happened there that was one of my tips that you should really embrace your obsessions because that that's where you get these these really rich specifics and and details and these these unusual because there there's this thing where you'll notice on twitter somebody will put out a joke there and then a hundred people will say the same type of thing in in response to it because they are not obsessed with something obscure it's it's to be obsessed with something obscure is a real is a real gift. Like your chess obsession, I imagine will will come in come in handy at at some point.
0: Although more people relate to not being the Messiah, yeah. than yeah. oh here's a chess player. That's, that's true, but but I'm I'm all at the same time obsessed with with this sports excellence, and I can't stop thinking about Jesus. What? Why do you think? Um. For, first of all, by the way. I'd written down a few of your Goldman tips. Number okay. 24, write down all your passions. Yes. And, and cause that one I think is really important because the that's where you're passion to, of the Christ. Yeah, yes. exactly. If you had this passion of the Christ. Yes. You're going to go down. There's so many ways to go down the rabbit hole and find jokes from it that I really like that tip. That's tip number 24. You were, you're doing a tip a day yeah. from January 1st to December 31st. That was the January 24th, I guess. Right. Um, and I like it because, again, it's this way of taking your true story, but then combining it with a passion to allow you to make up something that's still important to you and slightly out of the comfort zone of the listener. Yes, like it, look at what Hannah Gadsby did with her her
1: information and knowledge, her mastery of of art in the, in the, the van Gogh Picasso joke. I mean, I, I was never coming up with that because I wasn't obsessed with van Gogh and and Picasso and it's just such a, such an important, an important joke.
0: Yeah. And, and I think, um, again, you're, if, when you're passionate about something you're able to see nuance, it's, it kind of quadruples the number of observations you can make because you can, there's so many observations you can make in that and then layer it like you, I think a lot of comedy, and correct, correct me if I'm wrong, I'm just throwing this out there. A lot of comedy is taking two completely disparate points in space and time and connecting them. Yes. So you connected- Making you, connections is, is is almost everything. Yes. Right. So you connected your dad's kind of guilt trip on your hockey right. with Jesus Christ. Yes. <laughs> so yes. that's going to be amazing. And you could only do that if you were- Why, why were you passionate about Jesus? Well, it, it's it's just- it's so irritating that growing up i was not allowed to really
1: bring up jesus or or christmas and and we were afraid of of i remember when one of the popes died the one before john paul died and and i knew that it was an important thing because it was on every every channel and we didn't have any news channels it was just on every network channel and i i loved to report important things to my mother and i i remember i had told her that elvis had passed away and then then i had this period where i knew that i would get a reaction so i kept telling
0: famous people to die. <laughs> you knew your audience <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> that, that was your dopamine hit <laughs> richard nixon I forgot, died
1: i forgot all about that i said i knew she loved the actor robert redford and i went up to him and i said ma robert redford died and she, she was a uh, heartbroken and i
0: said oh i i i made that up." she was so angry oh, but God. anyhow the pope really died and i went to my mom after a month right this was like the pope that was around for a month i think it was yeah. john paul the first yeah so.
1: and i said ma the pope died no this was the prior pope because they, like, this was a paul pope that something. everybody had become attached to yeah. okay it wasn't Obvious. <laughs> I said, "Ma, the Pope died," and she yelled at me. She said, "Do you realize how angry you could make Christian people by saying that?" She didn't say Catholic. I remember she said Christian, and I I think she should have said Catholic because the Christians might not be as upset, but the Catholics <laughs> definitely would be would be upset. Do you realize how angry you could make? And I said, "No, turn on the channel. It's true." Well, don't tell anybody that. They don't want to. They don't want to hear it from a Jew, and. And I, 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 so, so all my interest in, in Jesus and Christianity and popes and all those things, it felt very illicit. Like that was my, that was my, my playboy collection was, was gathering information from my friends about, about CCD. And, and I I remember seeing a, a crucifix at a, at a house and it was, I mean, it was such a, it was highly articulated this this crucifix man I, I, I mean it, it, was, it was gory and I, I just remember being being totally blown away by this and then and then the twist of this of this mystery was when I found out that Jesus was Jewish just like me. That was like, are you kidding me? this, this hero and the most famous person on earth is also a, a
0: Jew. Why aren't we why
1: aren't we not embracing this? this is this is huge.
0: You know, did was you know, because you were young, so so I don't know what your your religious background was, but did you view like you were reading comic books, probably did you view? Jesus is like, this is a real superhero, like oh my gosh, Superman yes. doesn't exist, but Jesus right. existed yes. and yes. was just as powerful, yes.
1: yes, more powerful than 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 any of these superheroes. Andy's a Andy's a Jew. And his interpretation of—I would learn later on—his interpretation of the the Bible was much gentler than the the Old Testament, angry, wrathful, the kill jealous. Every woman and child. God, oh my gosh, his his treatment of Sodom and Gomorrah. I listen; they were they were experimental, and they were doing all these things. But to to I, I was always horrified by by the definition of sodomy, and that. That, that this definition was how God decided to 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 smote in an in an entire society based on their their sexual predilections. It was I, really
0: I could see the religious uh, <laughs> special. Uh... Yeah.
1: <laughs> but yeah, but... I did want to do this before I got sick. I was working on this thing about my my religious obs- obsession, and and Jason Alexander from Seinfeld was going to direct it, and then I got sick, and the worst email I had to ever had to write was to tell him I couldn't continue to, to work on it. And he was so thoughtful and so nice and understanding and patient in the message. And he said he was really surprised because he said, you seemed,
0: you seemed so light. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it was so I, nice. you told me about this actually on our very first podcast. And again, like barely above a whisper yeah. when you were red, yeah. like, I thought you were going to cry then talking yeah. about Jason Alexander. Oh like gosh. you couldn't even yeah. get out of bed to right. work yeah. on this amazing opportunity. Yeah. Um, yeah. Maybe you will get back to it. <laughs> right, I, I hope so. But the the thing is, is that the, the the part of the depression
1: is you feel yourself blowing all these opportunities. So I probably should have said no, thank you to Colbert that time because I was so sick. But I, I didn't want to to blow an opportunity because I I managed for the for the Conan appearance and it, and and it, it was really important. You you you, you always have this. When you're first starting out, you have this feeling, oh, this thing could could break me, and then you have more shows, and you're like, oh, it didn't break me. This problem probably won't either. So by the time I did Conan, I didn't think that it would be such a big deal. But but I I found out recently that that it's had 30, 30 million views, which is which is insane. Yeah,
0: because it might. This is why people also from the very beginning have been obsessed with the Goldman tips. Oh. Hashtag Goldman tip on Twitter. Right because your joke writing skills is like you know i feel like every comedian's got their superpower in the league of oh, special comedians and thanks. like the writing oh is so layered and amazing thanks and then and then again uh, i we haven't re- released revealed any spoilers from the great Depression special but i i still like when you sat down to write would you would you again pick a story like, like you have in one of your tips which I think is a really great tip and it's sort of about writer's block which is it's tip number 269 write if you're having trouble writing a joke just write a funny sentence yeah. it's kind of like give yourself permission right. to let it flow and even yes. be bad yes. and then you start playing with it like yes. what would you do would you, would you write out like okay here's some aspect of my depression you write it out what was funny to you and then start to right. how would you then take those words and craft it well,
1: I would I would start with a with a sentence and I I am pretty sure I did this this tip, but one thing I, I learned fairly early on in my writing was that you may be tempted to write nine or ten pages on this new joke that you think is going to be so great, but you'll be really invested in this joke and when you go on stage and do it and it doesn't get a laugh, you're going to be devastated and you will have felt like you wasted a lot of time and you, you haven't, but I know myself, I'm going to feel terrible and foolish and, and dumb. And so just maybe write for nine pages, but just pick one sentence that you really believe in and go up there and tell that one sentence. And then if that sentence works, and this is the, the key, if you only take one tip, then write the nine pages off that, off that sentence, because you have everything you need. You have this, 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 um place to to start this foundation is the word i'm looking for you have a foundation to build your entire home off of but the other thing that i will say that that is is a master level tip that it's actually the first tip about listening to your to your sets but it, at this point i don't so much write as i as i do write down so i'm i've gotten to a a place now where i've written enough and performed enough that i can I can flush things out on on stage. And I might might be thinking about something I actually wrote down, but sometimes I'm just thinking about what comes to me next. And so I'm, I'm basically writing on stage, but then, and the hardest part is listening to that, and then writing down what you say. So really what I do is I, I, I'm not so much writing as writing down. And then when I write that down, then I think, well, you came up with that that line about... The messiah and you came up with that line about the the skating on what walk on water and mm. skating on water and then i try to write down other sentences and then and in that in that case i found that just repeating the premise will try to find the money and then i wrote down we'll try to find the money jesus like they're being sarcastic like they're so being so cruel and, and i thought that was a really funny and a nice way to tail off and 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 the and the joke and then and then yeah so so that's a it took me at least 10 years to get to the point where i felt comfortable writing on stage also where i was getting enough stage time where i could where I could, and, and by stage time, I mean literally the, the minutes of amount of stage time that I could do. I was allowed to do 20 minutes or a half hour, an hour, and work out these things. And I didn't have to get everything in in five minutes and kill so that I'd been invited back to the club and, and build a buzz so that I could get more work elsewhere.
0: You know, I, uh, I bet you get this a lot about your tips, which is, I wish you had told me this three weeks ago. Oh, okay. So, because, like, just the writing of the nine pages in my massive four years of experience now uh i i there was a a a particular show where you had to tell stories about lsd that was the premise and i had never done anything i had to just make this up yeah and (laughs) and then and so i did i wrote i wrote like five pages uh recasting the entire nine movies of star wars oh, from wow. the point of view of luke skywalker having a bad acid trip it's a great and this idea. homeless guy yeah. says dude your dad's yeah 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 of the galaxy That's brilliant yeah <laughs> and, and he's just a farmer it's a great but, idea like, he's this white trash farmer yeah and um but then i a two things happened one nobody else on the show did lsd jokes like they just completely ignored the premise of the wow. show and b no one in the audience had seen star wars oh my gosh <laughs> but I still what a did. bummer i still did my Five pages when I should have probably done the one sentence to kind of feel out. No, you definitely should have done the five pages. That's a great premise. Yeah, but we'll we'll see. Because I think I realized after that, only people I know have watched every detail of Star Wars. Right. (laughs) But yeah,
1: it's interesting. yeah. Yeah,
0: but um. You know the other thing i want to mention about uh your specials got the docu i don't usually see this in a specials got this whole documentary portion yeah so how did you decide to do to do that was very interesting and how do you decided to do that i think
1: i think that we believed at the time that i was never going to get or i believed at the time that i was never going to get 60 minutes of material about depression and how was I going to hold an audience's attention for 60 minutes talking about something that was that was it could be a real real bummer so my so i had about 20 minutes of depression material in my recovery and and jokes about that and stories about that and my my manager this man named brian stern said well why don't we do a, a hybrid of a of a special where you do the jokes but also we we interview you and and sade your wife and and maybe we could get I, I said well, maybe we will get my psychiatrist to to do an interview and explain my treatment and things and he said great when you when you're ready I'll introduce you to this director and and so he introduced me to a director named Mike Bonfiglio who had done most recently he had done the the Gary Shandling documentary oh, okay with with Judd Apatow with Judd Apatow user. yes and so we met and we told him the idea and he said well i don't know what percentage of of documentary versus stand-up we should do but the more stand-up the the better because you're not you're not hugely famous and people aren't going to tune in just to see the documentary of of somebody who's who's not super famous that seems to be the the trend now so so why don't you work on your hospitalization this this treatment that you did which was electroconvulsive therapy which we, we felt hadn't been really touched by a lot of stand-up comedians over the years and work on jokes about that. And he said, you know it would be interesting? If if the first time you try out jokes about stand, about electroconvulsive therapy, we film that and we show it and then we show the final product in, in the special. He says, I don't think I've ever seen that before. And I said, well, if you've never seen that before, then that's what we must we must do because in an age when everything has been done, probably even that. We should we should we should try to to do that. And he and he, he said, and you know what, if it doesn't work, we don't have to use it. But let's let's try. And and it worked and we did it. So the idea came from my my manager to do a, a hybrid and i came up with some of the ideas and then and then the director really helped me build the narrative i mean unlike any other director i've ever worked with on my my previous three specials he listened to every set i did from the road and went and saw me live and i, I remember there was one night in new brunswick new jersey at the stress factory where it was a thursday night and the aud- it was a full audience and they were fans i i guess but but it was new brunswick which it seems the people were were not dressing their best. So a lot of people were wearing shorts and their hats backwards and they and they just they look like people who are not going to respond to jokes about depression and anxiety and hey, hospitalization. I grew up in okay. But <laughs> this is this is very interesting. So The Stress they, Factory was the the comedy club. Yeah, it's an incredible comedy club. And I did He so Mike said to me, if you don't feel like doing it in front of this audience and it's gonna make your confidence waver then, then just maybe do your regular act. And I said, no, I I need to try it. And if it falls apart, then I'll go into more reasonable jokes. And the audience was, was, was on board from the start and it killed. And and that was, yeah, that was the night we knew we had something, something that, that was going to be, that was going to reach uh, a broad audience.
0: So, so, guy, I want to be respectful of your time. Oh, thank you. Have, you. you have a busy next few days. I do have coming, a busy next few days, and, and which I, yeah,
1: I, you know, I'm very grateful for, but also a little stressed.
0: Yes, yeah, from 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 the first time you're on the podcast to now, it's been such a, a great arc to see, and I'm so glad I watched the taping. But I'm also looking forward to actually seeing it on HBO. And again, so again, The Great Depression, HBO, October fifth, 10 p.m uh and i just want to mention also you got to check out gary's goldman tips i just wrote down a few that meant a lot to me your number 15 um write out a, a an old joke maybe but keep space in between oh, yeah. each word so you could see if there's other jokes right. or words you could put in is is brilliant is helpful for any writing um uh, starting with a funny sentence kind of is like this writer's block cure i i I liked, and I'll just make this very clear. I liked your your tip 271 about go in front of what you called a nurturing audience, but like an audience who's yes. familiar with you. Because yes. then you can, it's good to, when you're learning any skill, it's good to isolate some, like freeze some sub skills so you can focus on other skills. So if you yes. knew the audience is your friend, you don't right. have to work about that. You don't have to worry about that skill and you can focus on maybe the, the exact timing or the wording right. or stage presence, whatever you give, it gives you more chance to, to isolate and learn skills. Um, and then I liked, uh, your tip 26 combined jokes. My guess yes. is for uh, the abbreviated jokes. That's oh probably gosh, over so 22 years. So many jokes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Well, yeah. The great depression.
1: Well, I want let, everyone let me, to see Before we close, let me just say, I've your encouragement and support over the years has meant so much to me you, you've been oh, thanks, somebody that i could re- rely on to to give me some some objective commentary on on what i'm doing and i, I respect your opinion because you have great taste in in things and in, in people so so thank you for that i'm truly grateful for your friendship and 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 your help
0: thanks gary i appreciate that and have fun the next few days okay so thanks don't be James. too stressed is right. is a party no i'll be fine <laughs> yes thank you